Chapter Twenty of Don O'Hara, The Girl Who Laughed. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Leanne Howlett. Don O'Hara, The Girl Who Laughed by Edna Ferber. Chapter Twenty Blackie's Vacation Comes. The shabby blue office coat hangs on the hook in the little sporting room where Blackie placed it. No one dreams of moving it. There it dangles, out at elbows, disreputable, its pockets burned from many a hot pipe thrust carelessly into them, its cuffs frayed, its lapels bearing the marks of cigarette, paste pot, and pen. It is that faded old garment more than anything else which makes us fail to realize that its owner will never again slip into its comfortable folds. We cannot believe that a lifeless rag like that can triumph over the man of flesh and blood and nerves and sympathies. With what contempt do we look upon those garments during our lifetime, and how they live on, defying time, long, long after we have been gathered to our last rest. In some miraculous manner Blackie had lived on for two days after that ghastly ride. Peter had been killed instantly, the doctors said. They gave no hope for Blackie. My escape with but a few ridiculous bruises and scratches was due, they said, to the fact that I had sat in the tonneau. I heard them all, in a stupor of horror and grief, and wondered what plan fate had in store for me, that I alone should have been spared. Nora and Max came, and took things in charge, and I saw von Gerhard, but all three appeared dim and shadowy, like figures in a mist. When I closed my eyes I could see Peter's tense figure bending over Blackie at the wheel, and heard his labored breathing as he struggled in his mad fury, and felt again the helpless horror that had come to me as we swerved off the road and into the ditch below, with Blackie, rigid and desperate, still clinging to the wheel. I lived it all over and over in my mind. In the midst of the blackness I heard a sentence that cleared the fog from my mind, and caused me to raise myself from my pillows. Someone, Nora, I think, had said that Blackie was conscious, and that he was asking for some of the men at the office, and for me. For me. I rose and dressed in spite of Nora's protests. I was quite well, I told them. I must see him. I shook them off with trembling fingers, and when they saw that I was quite determined, they gave in, and von Gerhard telephoned to the hospital to learn the hour at which I might meet the others who were to see Blackie for a brief moment. I met them in the stiff little waiting-room of the hospital. Norberg, Deming, Schmidt, Holt, men who had known him from the time when they had yelled, "'Hey, boy!' at him when they wanted their pencils sharpened. Awkwardly we followed the fleet-footed nurse who glided ahead of us down the wide hospital corridors, past doorways through which we caught glimpses of white beds that were no whiter than the faces that lay on the pillows. We came at last into a very still and bright little room where Blackie lay. Had years passed over his head since I saw him last? The face that tried to smile at us from the pillow was strangely wizened and old. It was as though a withering blight had touched it. Only the eyes were the same. They glowed in the sunken face beneath the shock of black hair with a startling luster and brilliancy. I do not know what pain he suffered. I do not know what magic medicine gave him the strength to smile at us, dying as he was even then. "'Well, what do you know about little Paul Dombey?' he piped in a high, thin voice. The shock of relief was too much. We giggled hysterically, then stopped short and looked at each other, like scared and naughty children. 
Say, boys and girls, cut out the heavy thinking parts. Don't make me do all the social stunts. What's the news? What kind of a rotten cotton sportin' sheet is that dub Callahan getting out? Who won today? Cubs or pirates? Norberg, you goat, who pinned that purple tie on you? He was so like the blackie we had always known that we were at our ease immediately. The sun shone in at the window, and someone laughed a little laugh somewhere down the corridor, and Deming, who was Irish, plunged into a droll description of a brand-new office boy who had arrived that day. So help me, Black, the kid wears spectacles and a Norfolk suit and low-cut shoes with bows on em. On the square, he does. Looks like one of those Boston infants you see in the comic papers. I don't believe he's real. We're saving him until you get back, if the kids in the alley don't chew him up before that time. An almost imperceptible shade passed over Blackie's face. He closed his eyes for a moment. Without their light, his countenance was ashen and awful. A nurse in stripes and cap appeared in the doorway. She looked keenly at the little figure in the bed. Then she turned to us. "'You must go now,' she said. "'You were just to see him for a minute or two, you know.' Blackie summoned the wan ghost of a smile to his lips. "'Guess you guys ain't got the stimulating effect that a bunch of live wires ought to have. "'Say, Norberg, tell that fathead Callahan if he don't keep the third drawer to the right in my desk locked, "'the office kids will swipe all the roller rink passes, surest thing you know.' "'I'll tell him, Black,' stammered Norberg, and turned away. "'They said good-bye, awkwardly enough. "'Not one of them that did not owe him an unpayable debt of gratitude.' not one that had not the memory of some secret kindness stored away in his heart. It was Blackie who had furnished the money that had sent Deming's sick wife west. It had been Blackie who had rescued Schmidt time and again when drink got a stranglehold. Blackie had always said, Fire Schmidt! Not much. Why, Schmidt writes better stuff drunk than all the rest of the bunch sober. And Schmidt would be granted another reprieve by the powers that were. Suddenly Blackie beckoned the nurse in the doorway. She came swiftly and bent over him. "'Give me two minutes more. That's a good nursey. There's something I want to say to this dame. It's day rigor to hand out last messages, ain't it?' The nurse looked at me doubtfully. "'But you're not to excite yourself.' "'Say, girl, this ain't going to be no scene from East Lynn. Be a good kid. The rest of the bunch can go.' And so when the others had gone, I found myself seated at the side of his bed, trying to smile down at him. I knew that there must be nothing to excite him, but the words on my lips would come. Blackie, I said, and I struggled to keep my voice calm and emotionless. Blackie, forgive me. It is all my fault, my wretched fault. Now cut that, interrupted Blackie. I thought that was your game. That's why I said I wanted to talk to you. Now listen. Remember my telling you a few weeks ago about that vacation I was planning? This is it, only it's come sooner than I expected, that's all. I seen two, three doctor guys about it. Your friend von Gerhard was one of them. They didn't tell me to take no ocean trip this time. Between them, they decided my vacation would come along about November, maybe. Well, I beat them to it, that's all. Say, girl, I ain't kicking. You can't live on your nerves and expect to keep going. Sooner or later you'll be suing those same nerves for non-support. But, kid, ain't it a shame that I got to go out in an auto smash-up in these days when even an airship exit don't make a splash on the front page? The nervous brown hand was moving restlessly over the covers. Finally it met my hand and held it in a tense little grip. 
"'We've been good pals, you and me, ain't we, kid?' "'Yes, Blackie.' "'Ain't regretted it none?' "'Regretted it. I'm a finer, truer, better woman for having known you, Blackie.' He gave a little contented sigh at that, and his eyes closed. When he opened them, the old whimsical smile wrinkled his face. "'This is where I get off at. It ain't been no long trip, but say, girl, I've enjoyed every mile of the road. All kinds of scenery, all kinds of landscape, plain, fancy, uphill, downhill.' I leaned forward fearfully. "'Not yet,' whispered Blackie. "'Say, Dawn, in the storybooks, they always are strong on the goodbye kiss, what?' And as the nurse appeared in the doorway again, disapproval on her face, I stooped and gently pressed my lips to the pain-lined cheek. End of chapter 20